I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about um, kind of what we're focused on as a church. Um, it's, it's been an interesting season for us, and in the midst of all of that, um, recently, I don't have notes for this, so let me catch my breath. Um, we rent space from St. Luke's. Um, that's where you're at, right here, and uh, we like being here. Uh, we've known St. Luke's as a congregation for a number of years now, and I've gotten to know the pastor. Uh, we've met weekly for two or three years. That's a lot of meetings, and we've become good friends, and uh, he's been a, a huge support to me, and I've gotten to know many of their leaders as we rent space for them. We interact with them in a variety of ways, and we've been able to build a, a pretty positive relationship, so much so that St. Luke's has come to us, uh, our church, and it said, hey, would, would you all be interested in merging? So we've mentioned this a few times, but I want to keep talking about it. Um, and so one of the big things we're going to be doing uh, starting in January and probably over the first couple months of the new year is that's, that's what we're going to be focused on. A lot of my time is going to be spent on that. And uh, there'll be opportunities for you to be engaged in that conversation, to ask questions, to meet people at St. Luke's. Um, but the general plan is, is that they're interested in merging with us and um, with the understanding that they would be able to be a part of our community and continue to do the things that they love, and we would continue to do the things that we love, and we could do it all together. And to that I say, sounds great. Um, so the general plan is that they would continue to have an 11 o'clock service that's more traditional. Um, and that they would continue to offer their friendship class. And if you don't know what the friendship class is, it's happening right now. Um, it's a class for adults with disabilities, and it happens in one of the classrooms downstairs, and it's a, some of the great people in the world are in that class. Um, Alan sometimes goes to that class. If you haven't met Alan, you, you will. Um, he's the guy that just kind of wanders in the service. Um, he, about every other week, he'll just wander in, he'll put his offering in the plate, and then he'll go sit down. Um, Alan doesn't hear or speak, so if you try to communicate with him, it's a little difficult, but he does you know, understand you know, some nonverbal communication. And, uh, but he's a part of that class. So they want to see that that continues, and so do I. Uh, they want to see that their traditional service continues and a few other things like that. But otherwise, we're looking at what it means for us to be uh, one community together. For us, I mean, we started five years ago, and our church uh, owns a, a truck and a trailer. Um, and we set up and tore down our worship space every week for all the way up until COVID um, put us online. Uh, a few, Kevin, were you, did you do that a few times? Yeah, almost weekly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you did it a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a few people who've, who've done that. I mean, the entire church was in a trailer and boxes. You maybe have heard of this. It, it was exhausting. We were in a number of different locations. Um, we came here and... Um, you know, partly because we wanted to be able to have children's space that we didn't have to set up and tear down. Our, our last children's space was in a conference room. Uh, a few of you were a part of that. Um, and in an office space. And we literally set up like fake walls around people's desks, like this office space desk, and then have like a classroom in there. So uh, for the parents in the room who are familiar with our children's space, you know, that was a financial investment for us to, to update that space. And uh, I think today, and this has not been terribly 
irregular. I think there's probably more kids downstairs than there are adults up here right now. Um, so the investment in the children's space was 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 uh, was significant um, and and worthwhile. And, and and ultimately, what it means in this merger conversation is this this becomes you know our forever home, and um, we're able to do things in the space. Uh, in partnership with the people at St. Luke's that, uh, that we can't do as renters. And so um, just f funny little things that get hung up in a renting relationship, we'll be able to just move forward and uh, you know, get the subwoofers working, James. Or you know, like, just like little things that like, we're sharing, we're borrowing. And so like, once we merge, we'll just be able to like, make decisions as a community together and say, hey, we're going to take these pews out and we're gonna, not these pews, but like we're gonna move this over here or we're gonna, you know what I mean? Like we'll just be able to do things in the space to help us live into our mission and vision. So I just wanna let you know that's going on. If you have any questions about that or what that looks like, um, it's, it's a conversation that's been going on in the background for, for uh, honestly a number of years. And um, it's, a, it's a really interesting opportunity. The, the location here at St. Luke's is, the, the building is in such great shape. And it's a real asset for ministry. Um, it's got a great courtyard, outdoor space, playground. There's a fellowship hall that you know holds a variety of anonymous groups that they also want to continue to make sure is able to use the space. Right here in St. Luke's, there's OA, Overheaters Anonymous, NA, Narcotics Anonymous, and a couple AA groups, Alcoholics Anonymous, that meet in our space. Uh, the local... Um, uh, quasi-governmental group uh, for 5th by Northwest neighborhood meets in this space. So it's a really important location for this area and for this community. St. Luke's also owns the building next door. So Glen Avenue Soap Company is one of St. Luke's renters, which is uh, currently a, a form of income that's allowed St. Luke's to keep this building you know, as nice as, as it is because they have a, a steady income from that building. Down the road, you know, if, if Glen Avenue outgrows that space, because um, there was a pandemic where everyone was washing their hands. They're doing pretty good, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, you think about it like, soap company, that's a smart move two years ago. You know, like, people were buying soap more than usual. Um, but anyways, you know, th th that's a building in a space that it could be, on one hand, a, a income generator for other ministry or a location for some new ministry in the community that maybe doesn't make sense in a traditional church building. So just a lot of really fun opportunities and possibilities um, in this space. And uh, that's kind of uh, some of the conversation that we're having. So I'm going to let you know that. Uh, I'll just throw any, any we're a pretty small group, any questions that are just about that specifically that you want to throw out right now? We'll have a, multiple opportunities for questions, but are there any right now? I got coffee somewhere. No? One of the things I've said before, and I'll say again, that excites me the most about this conversation is, um, is this the reality that St. Luke's has come to us and uh, is asking us for it? Um, they, they want to see the legacy of this community be carried into the next generation. They, they love the fact that there's kids in the building again. They love the fact that we're doing ministry that they believe in as well, that our theology around inclusion and stuff is, is, is the same. And, uh, and so out of a, out of a, out of a, out of authentic relationship, they're like, hey, we should, we should come together and we have both 
lot to benefit. And that's, that's, that's pretty cool in a testament to that God is doing some really interesting stuff here. So with that, um, if you do have questions at any point, let me know, and we'll keep talking about it. Um, let's pray, and we'll jump into the message today. Holy Spirit, we come before you, and we, we, we trust that you are present in this space. God, you promise where two or more are gathered that you'll be there with us. Remind us today of your great love, of what it means to be people who follow after Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who love because we are first loved, who comfort because we are first comforted. Speak to us today. Amen. Amen, amen. I was uh, trying to explain to uh, Finn this week that Jesus in, uh, quoted in the book of Acts, interestingly enough, one of the few quotations in Acts that's not in the Gospels, that Jesus is to have said, it's better to give than receive. You've heard this before. It's a, a popular phrase. I was teaching this to Finn. You know what Finn said. Anyone knows Finn? He made it very clear that he prefers receiving than giving. And I, I very gently, in a, in a non-shaming sort of way, and you guys you know, need to hear it that way, and I need to say it that way, explained to him that that's why we need Jesus. In our, that, that I think there's this tendency, and in fact, I think it was Alyssa who said, you know, <laughs> Alyssa said it um, very gently and non-shaming way, something along the lines of probably better than this, you know, well, humans start out pretty horrible, and then, you know, Jesus makes us better. She didn't say it like that, but that's what she, you know, that's what she was trying to say. Like, we do. We start out as very selfish. And I, I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about, you know, we need Jesus in our life. Because I, I don't know that we always default to it's better to give than receive. And the reason we show up, the reason we come here and participate in other things, the reason we spend time in Scripture, the reason we spend time praying is, is not to be religious by any means, but because we need to be transformed. Let me tell you something about our community. Our community is interesting. Uh, ever since COVID, it's always been very interesting. People are like, well, who's a part of our church? And there are people, a part of our church, who don't show up on Sundays. One of the things about, uh, uh, about being a church where we, we're people who are deconstructing their faith, a lot of people in our community are deconstructing their faith, is there's a number of people who consider their church home who just can't do worship, can't do church. Um, but they're still like a part of our community, interestingly enough. And what's really profound right now is I, I feel, and this is something our staff was just talking about this week, there are so many people in our community who are hurting. And by hurting, I mean just a lot of grief. Illness upon illness. You know, someone gets COVID and then after that they get pneumonia or they, after that they get something. I mean, it's just like there are so many people in our community, and maybe it's just the world in general, I don't know, but I'm, I'm speaking for our community right now. There's so many people. Uh, uh, I've never been a part of a church where there have been so many people at the same time who were facing extremely difficult situations. We, we were saying in staff meeting, trouble upon trouble, 
It's just like one thing, and then it's another, and then it's another. It's just like, and it keeps. Now, if that's not you, and you're like, oh, my life's pretty good, we need you, because we need some of that stability uh, amongst those who are just having a really hard time with a variety of things. We've had two um, uh, members of our church who've lost uh, a parent in the last couple weeks. Um, a number of people with family members who are experiencing a variety of illness and struggles and depression and thoughts of suicide and just, I mean, and, and if I'm honest, I'm not doing that great either right now. So I'm just like, okay, God, <laughs> like, it's just a really, like, I wish I was doing a little bit better so that I could be a better support to those who are doing a little bit worse. And as I was thinking about today's sermon, that's what I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about um, and walk through a passage that God put in my heart around what it, what su- how do we respond to suffering and grief? And, and this is true whether you're going through it right now yourself or whether you're not and you're going to be around people who are. Um, so to do that, I'm going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. So the words will be up on the screen, and you can put it up there now. And if you, if you like uh, to follow along with a, you know, uh, the original uh, touch screen here, um, you can. It's on, and I'll tell you what page it's on. If you pull out the Bible in the pews, it's on page 1795. So 1795, if you like to follow along and, and actually have something in your hands, it gives you a little bit of more context that way. Um, so I encourage you to do that if that's meaningful. But uh, it's, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. This is probably his third letter to the Corinthians. I know it's called 2 Corinthians. He writes 1 Corinthians, great letter. We've spent a lot of time in that over the years. Then he writes another letter that we don't have a copy of, but he's referencing things in 2 Corinthians that we don't see in 1 Corinthians, so we're left to assume that he probably had some other letter. And it probably wasn't that great of a letter, so it didn't even include it in the canon or, you know, or it got lost or whatever. But these letters that Paul wrote were so profound, and they were passed around the early church so much so, and they were copied so much so, that they eventually became what we call canon. In other words, they're like, these are really foundational thoughts on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so 2 Corinthians is one of these letters that he wrote, and they started passing it around and using it to instruct each other and to inspire each other and encourage each other. And we're going to look at one of these letters he's writing to the Corinthians. And he's writing about his own suffering. Paul was traveling through the Roman Empire, and he experienced a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble, and we're going to see just how bad it gets. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse, um, it's actually starting with verse 3. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. This word comfort, he's going to use a lot in the next couple verses. So just, we're going to spend some time with that word because he just like repeats himself over and over and over again. Comfort, comfort, comfort. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we received ourselves from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. I've become, here's a really positive way to describe the last couple months of my life, okay? Um, And I I think other people can describe their life in a similar way, so I'll say it like this. I've become a very good student of suffering. (laughs) 
you, you really begin to understand it when you go through it. And as a student of suffering, I want to share with you some lessons that I see that Paul is saying here um, that, that I, I feel on a deeper level than I have any other time in my life. And here's the first one, based on these verses. Lesson number one, God is closer than you think. First lesson with suffering. God is closer than you think. The word comfort in this passage that he repeats over and over again is parakalesis. It comes from two Greek words, para and kaleo. Para means to come alongside or to be beside something. Kaleo means to call or to summon or invite. And so this word for comfort means to come close to somebody and to urge them, to encourage them. It, it, it means to get, get it. comfort here is not me saying, hey, you guys should feel better about your situation. Hey, you over there. Comfort is all about like getting, you know, <laughs> awkwardly close. You didn't expect that. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's like really, you know, it's like, it's one of the words in the word comfort is to come alongside. And so one of the things that, that Paul wants, he, he says God is the God of all comfort. One of the things that Paul wants us to understand that I think we need to understand, especially if you are going through suffering or you know someone who's going through suffering, is that God does not promise that you won't go through suffering. That God promises that when you go through suffering, God will be there. And this is something that's really hard for me. There's something about suffering that makes you feel isolated. Have you ever felt this? I realized, I realized a while ago that when I got really sick, the symptoms of being sick, they're bad. You know, like you get a fever, you get a headache, you get, you know, you feel like you're going to throw up. I mean, all of those are horrible. But you know what makes that even worse? The... the the stuff that's going inside your head, the fear, the isolation, makes those physical symptoms all the worse. And when we suffer in a variety of ways, one of the things that happens is we tend to feel alone. The first thing we need to realize, this is hard, is that you're not. The hardest thing to remember when you're suffering is that you're not alone. And when I've been in dark places and I find myself really struggling, I, 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 I remind myself of, of, of the Christmas season. Emmanuel, which means God with us. By us. Close to us. And so when dealing with suffering, we can take a lesson from God. Uh, next verse, verse 6, it says, If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation, Paul says. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Here's what I think Paul's trying to say. <laughs> the extent at which you can comfort somebody is directly related to the extent that you're willing to suffer with them. 
We know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. That there's a correlation between your willingness to suffer alongside somebody. Because isn't that what comfort means? That's what you just learned? In other words, lesson number two, which is basically the same as lesson number one, comfort is always incarnational. That's a fancy theological word for what it means for God to become flesh. But we use it sometimes generically to refer to what it means for us to become other people, to, to, to walk in someone else's shoes, to lower ourselves, to be with people. To, to Okay, so a couple weeks ago, we just talked about this. And we showed a video from Brene Brown. A few of you were probably here for that. Brene Brown, I talked about empathy. And she says that empathy versus sympathy, empathy is about going down to the hole with someone. I think I have an image here for this. You guys remember this? If you haven't seen this video, you should watch it. We're not going to watch it now because we just did it a couple years ago. I'll play it again next year. But uh, empathy is when you go down into the pit and you sit with somebody. Sympathy is where you, you know, poke your hole in the, head in the hole and you're like, hey, how's it going down there? Comfort. What does it mean to come alongside, to be with? Comfort is always incarnational. Your ability to comfort is equal to, and not greater than, your willingness to experience someone's suffering. (sighs) Let's be honest for a second. No one wants to experience someone's suffering. Maybe if you really, really love them. You find it natural. You, like a feel. But man, even in marriages, two very loving people. I love my wife. And she loves me. And I'm here to tell you that one of us, when one of us is having a bad day, what is the go-to reaction? I am here to fix your problems. Anyone else? Any, any fixers out there? Or is it just me? Here is some really good advice, Alyssa. Have you tried this? Why do I do that? Because that is easier than feeling what they're feeling. It just is. It's easier. It's way easier than to feel what they're feeling. It's easier than to try to fix it. Go on, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. He's talking about, um, ironically, he doesn't get into the detail about the problems he experienced in Asia. We know from the book of Acts some of his problems. But he's like, I don't want you to be unaware, but also I'm not going to tell you what it was. Um, But they must have known from the other letter, right? Like he's shared this in other places. He's like, we don't want you to be unaware of the troubles we experience in the province of Asia, which is an interesting phrase to say, because I think sometimes we avoid telling people the problems we're having. I I want, most people want other people to be unaware of the problems we face in home, you know, at work. I don't need you to worry, I don't want you to worry about me. But he says, no, I don't, I didn't want you to be unaware. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Do you you remember the the old platitude, God, God doesn't give you more than you can handle? Paul disagrees with that. He says, God gave us more than we could handle. <laughs> uh, Tig Notaro is a stand-up comedian. She, she does this bit about um, after she gets, uh, actually, after, after she has cancer, and I share this with the staff, she says, you know, she's talking about how she has cancer after her mom passed away, after getting another diagnosis. There's just trouble after trouble after trouble. And she says, well, at least, you know, she's in front of everybody, at least God doesn't give you more than you can handle. She's like, I just imagine God up there like, she could handle a little more. 
And the angels are like, and I'm misquoting her, but she, and she says, like, and the angels are like, God, what are you doing? Paul says, no, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability. Did you hear this? So that we despaired of life itself. Ooh. I love Paul if only for his honesty, his frankness, he says later on, his sincerity. You believe the great church planner, the great confident Paul, the person who wrote, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He wrote more books in the New Testament than any other author, and second only to Luke who, in regards to word count, because Luke and Acts are very long books. But even Acts is about Paul, so he should get credit for that anyways. <laughs> the great Paul reached a point probably more than once in his life where he despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Lesson number three. I've, I've learned as a, as, as a student of suffering, a little bit, and I mean that personally, but also as a pastor who's walked with people in suffering, one of the things I've learned, and this is a hard thing to realize, is that you can survive more than you realize. This, this is a hard lesson. You can survive more than you realize. Paul talks about how he just, just, just despaired of, of even life. And have you ever reached a point where maybe you weren't, you weren't suicidal, but you were kind of done with life? You know, you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I can't do this anymore. I, I ran across, I watch a lot of stand-up, uh, by the way. Um, and I ran across this one guy, and he talks about this feeling. And uh, this may or may not be appropriate for church, so we're going to watch it. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I think it's fine. Uh, most Probably. You can tell me later. <laughs> My apologies. I think it's fine, though. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, let's, let's, let's watch There's this. different levels of depression. I have what I like to call the medium kind. You know, just right here. Just the healthy amount, you know? Just enough to keep me humble and likable. You know, like a regular guy. You ever meet someone who could use a little depression? You know what I mean? Those annoyingly, like, optimistic people all the time. Every day's an opportunity. Like, he could use a dash. He could use a pinch of depression. He could use a parking ticket on a rainy day. Yeah, I have the healthy amount of depression, you know? Like, I would never kill myself, but I would like to die naturally soon. <laughs> there's anything wrong with that. That's just called being a human being. Like, I would never do it, but can we pick a day? Tell me where to be. I feel like some of you get it. Some of you don't. Like, if I was on a plane and it was going down, I'd scream, but I wouldn't be the loudest. Okay. Okay. Uh, Hear me out. Hear me out. I don't don't want anyone to have even a dash of depression. Okay. Okay. And if, if I'm honest, I was recently diagnosed with depression. And, um, and, and there's many people in our community who struggle with depression. I, I don't wish it on anyone. It's still funny to me. And I'm not trying to make light of mental health. Um, 
but I, but I, I do wonder if those who experienced depression also thought that guy was pretty funny. Um, and, uh, and, and laughter's good medicine. Uh, what I think is really great about it is it normalizes something a little bit. And Paul comes out and says, he's like, I despaired of life itself. Here's somebody who I'm sure made it to heaven. You know what I mean? Like he was a, at one point he was so confident in his faith, he said, be like me. And some people give him a hard time about that. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Some people say, Paul, don't say it like that. Say, just imitate Christ. Get yourself out of the equation. But Paul's so confident in his own spirituality, his own theology of what it means to be saved and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He says, imitate me because I am imitating Christ. And even the person who would say, imitate me, he said at one point, man, I despaired of even life itself. He normalizes despair. He admits that he reached a place where he didn't know if he wanted to go on living. He wasn't, he wasn't going to take his own life, but he, but, but, but he would be fine being called home. Paul said that. You can reach a place where you no longer want to live and still find a reason to. We actually don't take mental health uh, um, uh, lightly here. We take it very seriously. As, as many of you know, we have a mental health fund um, uh, where if you want to see a counselor, um, uh, we'll, we'll cover the first couple sessions, and we'll even offer recommendations. Um, people give specifically to this fund, and that enables us to be able to offer these grants. And when I say that there are people in our community who are struggling, what I, one of the things that, that one of these data points for me is we have received more mental health applications this year than all the previous years combined. And, and thankfully, we have the money to be able to, to provide these grants. And it's a variety of people, some who you might see in church and some who are only loosely connected to our community, but they, you know, uh, they heard about it. And um, what, what is exciting about the Mental Health Fund is, is our friend Avery, who's not here today, but is here often, um, has become the new team leader for the Mental Health Fund. And uh, he's a psychiatric nurse, so he's got some experience in this realm. And he's real, he, just, he was just appointed to this role this last month, and he's uh, already begun plans to talk about fundraising and maybe a, we're looking at some grants and stuff so that we can serve the wider community with these funds. But if you've ever felt in your life that you don't think you can survive this. This will sound a little cheesy, but it's important. You're here. You made it. There have been times where I wasn't sure, and I'm here. God isn't done. Going on, verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. That's the promise. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in the answer to the prayers of many. Lesson number four. Suffering never has the final say. Uh, John Lennon is uh, quoted of, of, of having said, but it was probably some guy out of uh, Spain called Fernando, uh, everything will be okay in the end, and if it's not okay, it's not the end. That, that's like a summary of the gospel. That's what Paul meant when he said, you know, there's nothing that can separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus, not even death. I'm not saying that death won't happen, that God will 
raise all of us from the dead. You know, like the, the, God will heal everything. What I'm saying is that suffering never has the final say. Death never has the final say. This is what we believe. That no matter what happens, God gets the final say. And, and, and there's a little bit of hope in that. Maybe a lot of bit of hope. That when we're in the midst of it, when we're really hurting, or if you know somebody who's really hurting, we can hold on to hope that suffering's not going to have the final say, that suffering doesn't get to define us. Going on, next, next verse, and this will be the last lesson. It says, indeed, this is our boast, the testimony of our conscience. We have behaved in the world with frankness and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. I use the NRSV for this one because uh, some translations will quote uh, where it says frankness, they'll, they'll say um, holiness, and it, there's a confusion around which word was originally in Paul's letter. Uh, but I, I'm, for the sake of today, we're going to assume it was frankness and, and sincerity. He, he, says, he says, we behave in the world with frankness and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. Here's what I think Paul's saying. I don't have any platitudes for you. Do you, do you know what platitudes are? Here, I'll give you a few. Here are things not to say when somebody is suffering. Uh, The first one, anything that starts with at least. Well, at least you don't have cancer. Well, at least you didn't lose all of your children. At least you can still have children. Anything that starts with at least, not a good response to someone who's suffering. Number two. Anything that starts with, you should. So for all the fixers in the room, hold on. When someone's really hurting and grieving, you should, not helpful. Number three, uh, here's a good um, platitude that they, they suggest not to say to someone who's grieving, especially if you lose a loved one. Some might say, your loved one wouldn't want you to be sad. First off, if I die, I do want you to be a little sad about it, okay? Like, just <laughs> technically speaking, like, you can be a little sad about it. I want you to be. Maybe not forever, but an appropriate amount of grieving would be, appro- like, fine. Number four, they're in a better place now. Number five, try to look for the good in the situation. Be positive. Number six, my favorite, everything happens for a reason. Do you know what platitudes are? They are a foolish person's attempt at wisdom. Or as Paul says in this, um, earthly wisdom. What we have, we don't operate from earthly wisdom, where we try to make sense of everything, and we try to figure it out, and we have good, clever answers to problems. No, he says, I come to you and I offer God's grace. Grace is different. Grace is beautiful. Grace is profound. Grace means that I'm loved no matter what happens to me no matter what I lose, no matter how I handle a situation. Ultimately, what I think he's saying here is we need to be, in the midst of suffering, we need to be human. Let me explain. Sometimes we, uh, I think there's just a picture before the video. A picture, this is, some, this is one, this is a Raphael, not the turtle, uh, the painter. Um, named after the turtle, I assume. And uh, this is this painting of the, of the uh, transfiguration. And you got Jesus there in the center. Um, 
I've got a lot of problems with this painting. I'm sure you do as well, but it's a beautiful painting. And uh, sometimes I think we view, we view Jesus in this way as sort of this whole, in fact, I don't know if I I can really look at this painting without the appropriate soundtrack. Can we, can we do the video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fixed it, yeah. That's the Jesus we follow. This holy spiritual, transcendent. And and, and what I find, and and I don't know if I'm going to explain this well, so my apologies, but what I find is that when people are in the midst of suffering, there's something in us as Christians that we want to become more spiritual. Like we want that music playing in the background as we offer these platitudes. Like we want everything to become, we're going to just make it more, if I just be more spiritual, I'll help this person. And here's what I want, and I was thinking about this even profoundly this morning. Here's the story. One of the things that I think is very helpful with theology is trajectories. So you don't look at the Bible and say, here's a particular point on the map, that's what we should be. What we're looking at is trajectories. What, what's the trajectory? How did, the, how did it develop over time? And that gives us a direction we should head. And so, like, you know, women in leadership is like, well, the Old Testament, you know, the Bible says that women should lead. I was like, no, no, what's the trajectory? We see God becoming more and more inclusive towards women in leadership. And so we continue that trajectory. Same thing. Think about the trajectory of God. God starts as this eternal, transcendent, holy God that you could only interact with in the temple. The holiness of God was so profound and so powerful that if you encountered it in the wrong setting, you would die. That's where the story starts. God speaks things into existence. God creates a temple to control God's holiness to make it safe to know God. That's what the temple is. It's an apparatus to control God's holiness. That's how the story starts. But what's the trajectory? Oh, over time, God becomes more personal, more relational, gets to know people individually, and you have him calling prophets and all this stuff, all the way to the point of what? The Christmas story, which is a story about God being born as a baby. God I don't want to lose you here. God looked at the suffering of humanity. And this is the main story of Scripture. People crying out, God, deliver us. Going all the way back to the story of Exodus and variety of God, deliver us. God, we need you. And God looked at all the suffering of humanity. And in God's omnipotence and all power and all holiness and all the things that make God big and unreachable, God thought the best solution to helping people who are suffering was to what? Become a person. And then when people in our lives suffer, we think, oh, you know what will really help them? Becoming more spiritual. I think we should become more human. God went from this distant, holy force in the universe, interacting with humans through angels and temples to this little child born and raised on this planet. God knew that the only way to truly save us, to comfort us, was to become like us. 
That's the incarnation. To, you know, get into the pit with us. If you want to become more like God, become more human. When God wanted to comfort his people, he didn't show up, you know, as the ghosts of Christmas past. He didn't show up as a proverb or a platitude. He didn't, he didn't you know, commission, a, you know, a, another chapter of the Bible. Here's an appendix that'll help. He was born. I think that's what Paul's saying here. I come to you not with worldly wisdom, but with the grace of God, frankly and sincerely. And when people are hurting in your life, or if you're hurting, that's the best we can do, is to recognize that I don't have the answers, but I'm here. I can't fix your problems, but I'm here. I don't always know how to make sense of it, but I'm here. I'm here, and that's the most important. I'm here in a very personal way. Paul goes on, and I'll skip a couple verses here. He says, For we are not peddlers of God's word like so many, but in Christ we speak as persons of sincerity. I share this as a closing to say I was really, just sit with this verse for a second. I would say that if we had a theme verse uh, for our church, this is probably one of them. It says we're not just trying to sell God's word, you know, use God's word for our own benefit, but we come sincerely as people who are hurting and struggling, got questions and doubts, and we just want to get better at loving one another. And so as people, we're going to share in this um, tradition, this sacrament that, that Christ gave us. For Christ was born, and then he lived and he died, and as a symbol of his death and his resurrection, he offered to us... Um, this bread and this cup. And he says that this is, symbolizes his death, you know, that his body would be broken and his blood would be shed for us. In other words, Christ would become human and not just human, Christ would suffer. That Christ would know what it felt like to be cut, to be bruised, to be beaten, to have a headache, to be uncomfortable to be hurting, and in the midst of the hurting, to feel isolated. Do you remember his cry on the cross? Father, why have you forsaken me? Someone was just talking to me about this this week. He said, I don't think God actually forsake him in that moment. There's a variety of theologies on that, by the way. But I don't, you know, this person was like, I don't think God forsake him in that moment. I think he just felt like God forsake him. Because that's what suffering does, right? And so Jesus knows what that feels like. And he says, if you want to share in my resurrection, if you want to share in my comfort, you share in my suffering because these two are tied together. And so we come and we eat of the bread and drink of the juice as a way of reminding us that Christ is here with us. Communion is open to anyone who wants it. Um, And so you don't have to be a part of our church or a member or say a certain creed. You can come and you can share if you're willing, if you're you're hungry for forgiveness and and the gift of God in your life. Um, After I pray, we're going to invite you. You can come up this side and then you'll go back that side and that'll help with the the flow. Let us pray. God, we come before you and we give you thanks for this uh, gifts of bread and juice and make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be the body of Christ 
in this world, called and set apart in your name. Amen.